Hello, fellow theater people. Welcome to episode seven of the Theater People Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. Just a reminder to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where we're putting up fun new content almost every day. Also, like us on Facebook, and you can find all of our episodes at our website, www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L.com. All right, now to the show. does it all. Sure, he acts, sings, and dances. He's a Keenan Bolger. It's in his blood. And we've seen him do those things on Broadway since he was a kid in Beauty and the Beast, up through his recent Outer Critics Circle Award-nominated turn as Crutchy in the original cast of Newsies. But it's through his work on Submissions Only, the popular web series he co-created with actress Kate Weatherhead, that he gets to showcase his other gifts, which include writing, directing, cinematography, casting, and just about everything else that has gone into making the grassroots comedy series so well-liked. The much-anticipated third season has just begun airing exclusively on BroadwayWorld.com. And forgive me, you're about to hear me nerd out over the show. Andrew Keenan Holger, thank you so much for being on the Theater People Podcast. We are thrilled to have you. Oh, thanks for having me, Patrick. We are new, like, obsessed fans of submissions only, so we've been binge-watching. Amazing. <laughs> um, congratulations on, like, the amazing continued success of this series. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, so we're wondering maybe we could start with you talking about how submissions only came to be and, um, I don't know, the story of how – I'm so interested in how something – goes from being an idea to being, like, this really successful web series. Sure. Uh, quickly and without much of my doing. So <laughs> it, uh, I was in Dallas. I was doing a show. It's a bird. It's a planet Superman at Dallas mm-hmm. Theater Center. And I met this girl, Kate Weatherhead, who I had crossed paths with. I had seen her around. She had done Spelling Bee with my sister. And we were both in the cast and sort of hit it off. And... We were both moving back to New York when the show closed, and we were both going to be unemployed, which is usually a time when, like, (laughs) you're trying to figure out, should I be hustling right now? Should I be, like, really auditioning? And I think in that time is when a lot of creativity happens. Right. Times of desperation. (laughs) Um, And so we, we, our last week there, someone, her husband, actually, who was lighting the show, suggested that we do a web series together. And right away, we got on, like, AOL Instant Messenger, because it was still <laughs> 2010. Wow. People used to still do that. And we, we like, talked. We are like, what about if it's, like, about the theater world? Uh, and, like, one guy can be a casting director. The other could be an actress. And that night, like, through instant messaging, we, like, outlined an entire pilot. And then we we wrote it, we got back to New York, we immediately did a table read with just some of our friends, and we were like, maybe we'll like shoot a pilot, and then I don't know what. And it was sort of well-received by our buddies, and so we decided to keep doing it. What was your level of knowledge in terms of like, what, did you had you ever turned on a camera before? Like, had you ever written a pilot? I mean, did you know structurally what you were doing? Um... As far as writing, we had both 
watched TV shows. <laughs> Neither of us had attempted to write one. And I had like a camera. I had just won like a national filmmaking competition for travel videos, which has little to no crossover. So I had a camera. I knew how to like press record on it, but I knew nothing about like filmmaking. And really, if you watch the first few episodes of that season, I'm breaking every rule of filmmaking possible. Like, <laughs> I know I read that you, after the first season, read a whole bunch of books and you like really yes. studied the art of making film. So you kind of put yourself through film school. Yeah, really cheap and mostly <laughs> on <laughs> watching Vimeo videos. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, and, and that works. I mean, it, it, you really learned how to do it? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I think I would have, it would have been easier for us if I had some great knowledge of equipment and technique. But it, it's one of those things like getting dropped in a foreign country where you don't know the language. You have to learn it so quickly. And I feel like I grew a great appreciation for every aspect of filmmaking, not just the like directing of it, not just the like direction of photography. Because we neither of us knew anything, we had to learn kind of everything. So now that we have people who are actually specialized in doing things like sound, uh, I, I still have a great bigger picture, which I think is super helpful. Um, and I'm sure I'm still doing stuff incorrectly left and right, but <laughs> maybe, I'm doing it with a lot of gumption. <laughs> maybe you can talk a little bit about what the show has come to be about, maybe who the characters are and, and, uh, and where we are. Sure. Well, in our third season, it for anyone who has never watched it, it's a show about largely auditioning for theater in New York, which is something that every actor does, and every actor has both nightmare stories, really great stories, but mostly just it's ridiculous what we do every day and jump into these weird characters and we're asked to do some ridiculous things, which comedy naturally grows out of. <laughs> yes. um, so in this new season, uh, it's actually our first time where we're focusing on the development of a musical. So um, Penny, our protagonist, has just started in a new musical called Jeremy's Fort, which is a very kind of like pretentious, intelligent uh, like Michael John Lacusa, Pasek and Paul Dogfight-esque, <laughs> yes. like really rich, like important musical off-Broadway. It's very downtown. <laughs> and uh, so we get to see not only the audition world, but also the world of like first read-throughs and like awkward blocking with fake props and uh, all the characters that you get to now see on a day-to-day basis rather than just in the holding room. Uh, so it's been really fun to dig into that and like you get to meet like the fight captain and the stage <laughs> managers all these characters from our world that are very rich in comedy to mind from so. one of the things that's really cool about submissions only is you get these really big deal like big time like theater legends you know and and so I'm, I guess I'm curious how do you guys go about getting them I mean I'm sure you're friends with some of them but then and then what how is it decided their level of what they're going to do like Cheetah Rivera is going to do a whole you know dance number and Kristen Chenoweth is just going to show up and be adorable and awesome but maybe not sing a full song sure well it started out first I mean Kate and I we know some people not a huge amount of people so we we called in our favors from our semi-fancy friends <laughs> right away. And um, it was actually from there, a lot of those people would say, you know, I had such a fun time with this. Like, if you want, I'm friends with Kristen Chenoweth. If you want me to, like, shoot an email to her, I bet this would be something she'd be down for. And it sort of grew out like that. And then once a certain number of people had done it, we could say, well, you know, like um, – Chitter Vera just shot with us, if, if you're interested. It seemed like something that 
was sort of like a tested model. They're like, well, at least if these people did it. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, I am blown away by the generosity and the willingness for so many people. I think really in our community, there is a great attention to people who are young and trying to do something that's different. And a lot of people, which which really blew my mind, was people who had never even seen the show, had never heard about it, and still agreed to be on it, um, which I think is really cool and a testament to how great this theater world is and the generosity. I couldn't agree more. We just, you know, we started this podcast as a total startup. I was reading um, one of the quotes I love about you guys call submissions only a grassroots uh, a grassroots uh, internet sitcom. And I thought that was so cool because it's very, it doesn't really look grassroots, but like, you know, it, it, you guys are saying that you were kind of scrappily put it together with heart and soul. And it, it, we found the same thing with the with the podcast. We didn't, we thought we'd be interviewing, you know, the third assistant lighting gaffer, <laughs> you know? And like all of a sudden we just reached out to people and we didn't know anybody fancy, you know? And all of a sudden never, people were just like, sure, we'll help you out. We'll come and we'll, you know? So yeah, I agree that it's, the, the theater world is like really super generous. And, yeah. we're, and we're so grateful Andrew Keenan Bolger, thanks for being here. Of course, absolutely. <laughs> Please, if anyone knows how you got to pay it forward. Yeah, exactly. Well, we appreciate it. Absolutely. And then you, I feel like you discover great things that I've met a lot of people doing things where I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but then I've connected with them and like you guys. And now I've like listened to your other podcasts, which are also Oh, cool. that's so nice. Uh, so Did you hear the Annalie Ashford episode? I, as I was leaving today, I had it playing while I was eating my breakfast. So I still have like 20 minutes. Left, <laughs> She's so funny. Gotcha. We have this rule now where if you've been on submissions only and you come on the podcast, you have to do your character because we <laughs> okay. were like immediately obsessed with adorable girl. Like, oh, as, come on. I mean, it's like every time a door opens, oh my god, you know what I mean? And we're obsessed with it. Will you? Will you give us a little of uh, oh, Donnie? I mean, he's very pingy. I it think seems like we have an audition going on outside oh, right god, now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he would be like, hey. I don't know. I love funny, it. funny fact, tidbit about Annalie Ashford. When we first did our first like table read of it, where we were having everyone read the pilot, we like doubled up on roles. And originally, we had sort of written the role of Gail for Annalie Ashford. Oh, we were God. like, this would be so funny. Annalie is so hysterical, and we were like, well, we'll just have her read one of these two girls who we thought were going to be in just the first episode. And she was so funny as just oh. that part. We were like, wait, we might need to do some reordering yeah. and make her <laughs> that character is. Is doing funny things. To it's me. so good. Will you please? I'm. I feel terrible that I don't know the actress's name who yes. plays Gail. What is her name? Oh, Lindsay Nicole Chambers. I mean, come on. Yeah. She is. She was in Lisa Strata Jones, right? Yeah, totally, yeah. Totally. She was great in that. But she is so so funny on submissions only. Yeah. I mean, my God, everybody is so funny on submissions only. Totally, totally. And she she was someone who did not do what we had intended for that role and it ended up being actually 10 times funnier because we were like yeah like an Annalie like very some girl who's like really able to play like aloof and kind of vacuous and then as soon as Lindsay came on the first day she was like dry as a bone and we were like these lines are way funnier than like hitting it over the head it's way funnier to just like leave it there and send it out so oh, it's so good at the end of the first season you guys did a kickstarter yes right for, for season two and then you did another one at the end of season two for season three yes and I mean was, were you surprised at the success of the, of the kickstarter campaigns oh completely yeah our, our first kickstarter we were like I think our goal was like 15,000 and we ended up doing like double that so we were totally blown away um, I, the Kickstarter model, I think, is something that is so great, but it's also something, I think, very difficult. And it's hard if you don't kind of already have an existing audience and an existing property, I feel like, which is why we ended up having success. Like, a, a lot of my friends will do it for movies that have not been created, and I'm so amazed yeah. that they can, like, really get people to rally and raise 
raised some funds for that. So we were lucky enough that we had sort of had like a tested model. They knew yeah. that they were going to get more of what we just put out and maybe it would be better. Yeah. Um, and then we really lucked out with our uh, season three Kickstarter because we decided to do it again. We wanted to do a third season. And the Broadway producer, Kevin McCollum, caught wind of it from just all of his cohorts and co-workers kind of talking about our Kickstarter and approached us and was like, so you raised this money, what would it take on my part to make you be able to do the season of your dreams? Like, oh my not just goodness. What you guys raised. Like, what would it, what would it honestly cost you guys to make sure that all of our actors could get like paid on a SAG contract uh, and make it just really worth everyone's while. Yeah, he had a really cool quote that I read where he was saying that his job as a producer is to find the like the stars of tomorrow, you know, and like the projects of tomorrow. Yeah, and he's totally if you look at his track record, all of his products have been people with very unique voices that I think people would not normally trust in to be something commercial. Um, yeah. People like Lin-Manuel and like the yeah. Q boys and yeah. the title of show folks. So. It's funny. I, so I, I got to meet Lynn like in – I don't even know the year. But when they were doing the um, – when they were doing In the Heights in the drama bookshop basement, you oh, know. Oh, my God. And Tommy Kale's like an old friend. Yeah. And so I was thinking about like we have yet to get them on the show. But I, I – you know – there, there seemed to be such a correlation between the success of a show like In the Heights and the success of a show like Submissions Only. Like these people who just have the heart and have, you know, not necessarily the cash, but like mm-hmm. that was another question. Where, like, where did the startup cash come from? I mean, like, what? I'm not asking for numbers, yeah. but like, how expensive was it to make that first season? And then, what did the Kickstarter enable you to do for season two that you that you weren't able to do for season one? Sure. For our season one, we Kate and I just paid for it out of pocket and. I think we probably did the whole season in like maybe 2000 bucks and really all the money went to renting out rehearsal spaces yeah. like and maybe occasionally paying for someone's cab if they were coming from really far away. Right. <laughs> but like no one got paid anything all the people who worked on it and we were we were still very rinky dink like we had our boom was at the end of like a painter's pole that I bought. <laughs> like if there's any like tracking shots, it was me standing on a skateboard and like someone dragging me backwards. Wow. So it was the most gorilla filmmaking you can come to think of. It and looks so, really cool. I mean it oh, doesn't yeah, you. it doesn't look student filmy. It looks really uh-huh. like, you know, what you I feel like you always intended it to be. Well thanks. And um, of course once we were able to afford equipment, we we got a better camera, we like invested in lighting and like better sound equipment and um and then began to pair actors as well. Yeah. I was reading uh, an interview with you and Kate Weatherhead from Playbill where you guys were talking about, like, the financial – like, the Kickstarter for season three and mm-hmm. what that enabled you to do. And it looked like you guys were hiring staff on a scale of, like, a Hollywood movie. <laughs> I was like, how do you even keep track of, of all of these people? You guys have, like, catering and you have makeup people and you have – you know what I mean? Like, totally, stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. But, like, how do you know to be in charge of them? Uh, I mean, we – Kate and I were wearing a lot of hats and – it was making us not be able to focus on the two tasks that we were actually hired to be, which were, like, the writers and actors and then, like, directors and editors. So we we assembled a team of people who knew what they were doing, whereas we totally didn't and had real producers who had worked on uh, in the film world and with, like, budgeting and scheduling. So it enabled us to, like, really focus in season three on the things that 
we had like gotten into it for. Yeah. Well, we can't. I mean, I, you know, I put out to the Twitterverse that you were going to be here. Of course, the Twitter went nuts. And okay. uh, we have a million questions in this little bag. Oh. We can't possibly do them all. But we figured we would, like, do a couple of them. I love it. Um, well, I was going to do that later. But maybe we should just do that now. Sure, that sure. Fun. Okay. Okay. Pick a Twitter question. Okay. From Alex E. Bohan. He <laughs> says, if you could play any role on Broadway right now, which would you pick? Any role. So I'm going to guess that doesn't even mean... It has to be a role I'm right for. That does, yeah, exactly. I was thinking you were going to be like, Avita. Yeah. Oh, I would be like, I don't know, the girl from Once. Ooh, good one. I love that musical. I thought yeah, it was really me too. Good. I can't play piano and I'm not a woman. But. Kristen Milioti, I remember an, an audition story for her when she was talking about uh, she had to learn the piano for that like in a week. Oh, my God. Or maybe and I'm, I'm making so that up. Yeah, but it was like a really short period of time. Okay. Okay, Twitter question one. number two. Forgive the ghetto Stoli Blueberry bag. Oh, my God. I'm kind of loving it. <laughs> oh, this is what we keep our fancy. It's velvet. We, yeah, exactly. We keep our, our Scrabble tiles in this normally. <laughs> okay. Uh, what can you tell us about season three of submissions only? I was, that's what made me go to the Twitter questions because totally, we had like totally. 100 of those. All right. And it also says what new shenanigans will happen. Um, what can I tell you? Oh, well, who, who asked can, that question? Uh, oh, it's from Lizzie McAllis. March 3rd is going to be our release date for the new season, and you will get, unlike unlike our previous ones, which came out like every month or every month and a half, it'll be on a real schedule. Uh, you'll get them coming to you pretty regularly um, on Broadway World, and we're so excited that, to share the season. It's been so amazing because in the past two seasons, we would we would like film it, edit it, and then throw it up there, and then immediately start writing a new one, and then... That like month and a half time, we had to do everything. So oh, right. we got to last year. Actually, we wrote it all in advance, and we shot it all within like a two and a half month period. And then we've just had the luxury of being able to edit it sort of on our own time. So they're all in the can. They're all ready and waiting to go. <laughs> uh, people are asking for details. Okay, Mr. Okay. Keenan Bolger. Sure, sure. Well, <laughs> as maybe you can assume, there's going to be a lot of Penny Aaron romance. Uh, the first episode starts out with. Kate in her new show, Kate, who plays Penny, in Jeremy's Fort, which she is playing opposite Aaron Miller's girlfriend, who is Serena Maxwell, a big Broadway star. And we sort of immediately find out that maybe um, Aaron has not held up his end of the bargain and broken up with her. So they are still together, and and Penny is feeling trapped in the middle of this sort of love triangle. all with the like a framework of developing a new off Broadway show. So, Fanta, I can't wait. Absolutely. Okay, uh, maybe two more. Oh, okay. From official Gigi, who I totally know. <laughs> Do you really know her? Oh yeah, she's like a very loyal fan. I love her. That's awesome. Hey girl. Um, hey girl. Do you have a favorite <laughs> character that you've played, and what is your dream role? So that's a double header. Um, as far as character I've played, I mean, I have to say. Definitely doing Crutchy and Newsies. It was yeah. – I got to do it right from the very beginning, the very first reading. I got to play that role and sort of put my stamp on it. And it was it was just really cool, like, getting to see the whole development of that and how – I had never felt like I had had my hand in a, in a character before. But they had sort of, like, been able to, like, craft it around my talents and stuff. So I would say absolutely that. And that's been my favorite show I've worked on as well. It's just really, really, really fun. I can't wait. We're going to get to that next. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, okay. And then what is, right. my, what is my dream role? Um, I would say something where I got to play opposite one of my sisters because I've never gotten oh, to yeah. do that in New York. So I don't know what that would be. Maybe, like, a, a John and Jen or, like, a 
Secret Garden, some kind of oh, sibling. Oh yeah, that would be my dream. Or something new actually would be great too. Where we I should get the three of you to work together. That'd be awesome. That would be yeah. Keenan Bulger head explosion. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. Okay, Twitter okay. sphere. Fingers crossed. Oh, oh he picked. Too. He pulled oh, too. Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh god. <laughs> should I see which one is? <laughs> oh, we can do them both. Oh, okay, we'll do them both. Okay, okay, okay. From Hollywood Mandy, if you had the opportunity to cast and direct a Hollywood movie, who do you want to star in it? Ooh, I like that. I know that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, who, if I really got the chance to direct a big Hollywood movie, I would want to cast the people who maybe don't have as much exposure, people who are sort of on the outside looking in, because I feel like that's definitely what I've been. So yeah, I would say yeah. I think. And especially theater people who don't get the opportunity to do as much film. I'd like to take as much of my submissions on the gang as possible <laughs> in Hollywood. I'll leave it at that. Put them all on a bus. Yeah, totally. Get them out to Hollywood. Do a movie. Um, and let's see. From Robin Wilkinson. Uh, can we hope to see you perform in anything with your sisters? Oh, Robin. Interestingly your ears enough. <laughs> come on. Come on. Um, actually, Celia and I and Maggie and I have discussed this year that if even if we have to produce it ourselves, we want to do something. Uh, oh, that's awesome! I think it is a unique thing. And Does Maggie sing? Maggie sings totally. She's uh, probably the best singer out of wow. Celia, Maggie, and I for sure. I was going to put this off till later, but we, I want to talk about Maggie for a second, yes, if yes. you don't mind. So I'm, you know, a little bit of a writer. I write about like gay history stuff, yeah. and there was a time when I was going to the New York Public Library doing research uh, through the International Gay sure. Information Center archives. I can't believe I remember to say that all correctly. Come on, I know. Um, and this was long before we had the idea of doing a podcast. But I remember going through it and seeing Maggie's uh, Maggie. Maggie's name. I oh. forgot. I forgot your last names there for a second. Oh. Keenan Bolger, um, and thinking that must be like you know Andrew and Celia's sister. And looked up anyway. I just want to say, Maggie, you are doing God's work. She really is. I mean, my goodness, the people who work at the library and and care for those archives and like the 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 volume of history books that have come out of that and the stuff that has like become written history. I think that people can like learn and you know whatever would never happen without these incredibly hardworking behind-the-scenes people. So I just wanted to give your sister a shout-out and say thank you, thank uh, you, thank you. She deserves it. It's, it's funny because we're all, we're all in the arts world, and Celia and I have definitely taken a more, like, commercial approach, and Maggie has taken this sort of nonprofit activist approach, which is very, like, of how our parents raised us. They were big, big-time hippies, and <laughs> the Keenan Bolgers were oft-seen as children, like, at protests and like marching and oh stuff. cool so we were like big time activists when we were a kid and my sister is the one who's really been able to take that and put it into her work and working with a lot of outreach and and using art as like a tool for social change which i think is the coolest absolutely god when i was a kid my mom used to tell me that that's what i needed to do totally yeah i mean that w- without like without her here to speak for herself yes. what 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 is her what does she want to do like what does she want that to look like um i mean i think it's She's one of those people who somebody told us when we were kids, like, never stop learning. And she was, like, the Keenan Bulger that really took that to heart. <laughs> so she's always expanding her her horizons. Right now she is uh, working with LGBT homeless youth in New York. Uh, and they, they recently, like, devised a theatrical play together about their wow. experiences and about being, like, LGBT and homeless. She works with, like, a... Uh, it's called Bridging the Gap, which is connecting uh, intergenerational LGBT people. So, like, 80-year-old gay people and, like, teenagers, which there is definitely a big 
generational gap. Yeah. And uh, she <laughs> wrote a show with them as well. Wow. Uh, and she's really into the, like, devised work. Where... Is there any of that that we can link to on our website? Totally, totally. Okay, we'll um, get it. We'll put it on absolutely. the website. Amazing. Um, just to wrap up submissions only, what, mm-hmm. what's, what's going to – you know, I've seen submissions only like in the must list on Entertainment Weekly. Like that's sure. um, it, what's going to happen. I mean, is there a Hollywood talk? Is there? I mean, are you guys going to go to network television? Like, what's happening? <laughs> I mean, as as much as we would love to believe that submissions only would be on TV, I'm not so sure that's in the card. I think I think definitely Kate and I. That's our going to be our next step now that this is released. We want to we want to write for television and film. Yeah. And Kate and I are going to direct a film later this year. Oh uh, wow! And so. I think submissions only is definitely that's our launching point, and I hope it continues. It would be it would be awesome if like some cable network picked us up. I think that would be great. <laughs> Will there be a season four? Um, who knows? Wow. It, it, so much of it depends on it, how much season three resonates with people. Yeah. We take a little bit of a turn. It's not as like kind of slapsticky comedy. It's really four people die. You guys. You guys. Four people. It's tragic. <laughs> but I think the third season of any show, it's these. Our actors have lived in these characters so long, and we're really writing for the characters at this point, and less about this is a crazy audition, and more like what what have our characters learned? Like, what would they do in these circumstances? And it's really about the story and about the character development. Yeah, this amazing. Mm. Um, so Steve and I saw the very first preview of Newsies at Paper Mill. The oh very first preview. Back in the people don't remember, but back then, there everyone knew it was happening, but people didn't. We didn't know. Nobody knew what was going to happen. If it was going to come to Broadway, yeah. or if it was just going to be regional, and but there was no talk of it coming to Broadway. So I was afraid it was going to be a huge hit, which of course it was, and we wouldn't be able to get tickets. <laughs> so we got tickets to the first oh show, and we came. And I have to say, I grew up on Newsies. You're a bit younger than me, so I don't know if you have oh, the no, same. Oh, no, I saw it in the theaters. You did? I did. I think I, I was maybe the, the only Newsie because I'm grandpa Newsie over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was raised on that. I, I read a, a cool quote that you said that one of the things you loved about Newsies was that it was like a bunch of guys like singing and dancing and making that look cool. Yeah. Definitely. And like as a little kid, how cool that was. Absolutely. And if we didn't grow up with all the I, – I think musical theater is very much in the spotlight now, but – in the 90s, there was, like, you had your Disney movies. That For was, like, sure. as mainstream as any musical theater could get. And so, especially to see a live action movie and one starring guys, I thought yeah. that was, like, the coolest. And a lot of the Newsies have cited that as, like, one of the reasons that they got into dance and into singing. Yeah. Well, so you got to originate Crutchy. And as you said, you were with it from, like, the very first read. You're a, you're a, Disney, you're a Disney actor. <laughs> Certainly, yes. <laughs> and didn't they just kind of ask you if you just wanted to, like, do it for the reading? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I got an email from my agent being like, you got asked to do the Newsies reading, and I was freaking out. This is not how it happens for most people. No. Well, and also, when we were doing that reading, it was it was not to create the Broadway musical Newsies. It was, honestly, they wanted to have a licensed version that they could, like, send out to elementary schools and church groups yeah. to perform Newsies. So they were just trying to write a script. It was never like, and now these people are attached to it. So... Right from the beginning, it was like the underdog of the Disney theatrical world. And it continued to be until we were extended on Broadway to an open-ended run. Yeah. It always felt like we were like, maybe this will get to be on a larger capacity. And so what happened? You did it at Paper Mill, and then you went back into Mary Poppins, mm-hmm. right? Which yeah. is like your after-school job. Like, that's where you <laughs> always are. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and, then, and then it was announced that it was coming to Broadway, and then, and then you go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And honestly... No one believes that, like, the cast didn't know that all these things were happening. But we were just – it was a delicate thing for Disney. They, the movie was such a theatrical bomb that it was, it, it was very risky for them. So 
they kind of kept it hushed. I found out with the rest of the world. I like walked into my stage door one day and our like associate director, Mary Poppins, had on his smartphone like a press release that was being sent out that next morning that was like Newsies goes to Broadway. Oh my goodness. So I was like, oh my god, it's really happening. And did you know that you would you would go with it? I mean, I hope so. I had I had made them a lot of videos, so I was like, yes. even if they don't appreciate my theater work, <laughs> I'll make you a video. <laughs> well, and I read about you did like a lot of research for it. Like you were trying to figure out why Crutchy had a limp. Absolutely, yeah. Will yeah. you tell us about that? It, sure, sure. I mean, right away, the character's name is Crutchy, so it's very on the nose. Like, if you don't at least figure out your backstory for that, you you haven't right. done yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. It. But I. I looked at, like, historically what would have been going on at that time, and it was, like, right when the polio epidemic had just started, and it was affecting mostly children and mostly disenfranchised people. So I watched a lot of – there's, like, some great Netflix documentaries about polio, and I tried to, like, really get the musculature of what the foot looked like, how it was sort of like a dead foot almost, Um, and I thought that that would have made sense, and – yeah, that's sort of what I did. <laughs> um, and then you were nominated for an Outer Critics Circle Award. You just hop up out Indeed, who knows? <laughs> Congratulations. Feature me riding in style. Hey, I bet a few months of clean air, you could toss that crotch for good. Santa Fe, you can bet. We won't let them bastards beat us. We won't beg no one to treat us fair and square. There's a life that's worth the living And I'm gonna do my share Work the land, chase the sun Swim the whole Rio Grande just for fun Watch me stand, watch me run yeah, and then and then Newsies just like ran forever. Like it was just like a huge smash hit. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I'm people don't believe us when we say like we never thought we would be here. But I remember after we had finished in Paper Mill, like walking through Times Square and being like, "Oh, I can't believe the show is over. How cool would it be if this got to go to Broadway one day?" Yeah, and it happened so much sooner than we all thought. So. Yeah, and it's such a good show. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Um, maybe we should go back, you know, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your growing up um, and your, and your, you made your Broadway debut young, right? You were Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I was 10 years old. I, I 10 years old? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I began my career working immediately for Disney, which I think is <laughs> very cyclical and totally fitting. And yeah, exactly. such a great world. Um, I was reading that you, you guys knew the Fosters, yeah. When you were like, I, I misread a quote and I put it in bold that I it said that um, Sutton Foster babysat you when you were a kid, but that's not exactly what you said. It oh, was... it, to a degree, yes. Yeah. Celia, when she was growing up, was in this like little theater troupe called the Peanut Butter Players, <laughs> and it, like Sutton and Hunter were in that as well because we're all from Michigan, and like we thought Celia was a cool older sister, but like. Sutton was the coolest. I can only like, imagine. Both Maggie and I were obsessed with her, and she would literally carry us around backstage because she was like this thirteen-year-old cool teenager girl. And both Maggie and I were like obsessed with her. And even from <laughs> when she was thirteen, she was. What was she like when she was thirteen years old? A sweetheart and so talented. Yeah, like born like, with tap shoes. Scary talented. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So and then, like you said, you were raised like by hippies. Yeah, totally. Going to marches and uh-huh. and protests. And then, how did it come to pass that you made your Broadway debut at ten years old? Um, well, Celia had always been in the theater world. So both Maggie and I, who were a little younger than her, just grew up around that, and right away wanted to do theater as soon as we could really talk. And then, randomly, there was 
there was some workshop in Michigan that was like called How to Raise Healthy Kids in the Theater World that my parents <laughs> took us to because they were like, if this is going to be like a life, I want to figure out how to do it in not an overbearing way. And randomly there was like an agent who came to that and saw Maggie and I and were like, those two little blonde kids might be cute. Oh, and funny. And invited us to come to New York to like meet with their agency and so when we were, I think, like eight years old, moved to New York just for like a summer and started auditioning for stuff. And then like one of my first Broadway auditions was for Beauty and the Beast. It had like just opened on Broadway. And I don't know, parents, when you're faced with that decision, you either say yes or no. And my parents thought it might be a cool experience for kids growing up. And so they... So did they move the family to New York? They or? did, yeah. We, we wow. kept our house in Michigan, but... My family moved to New York, and Celia had just begun her freshman year at Michigan, so she stayed back in Michigan. Um, but yeah, our family—they're pretty cool. They like picked up and wow, moved the kids. Did you ever like formally study acting, dancing, singing, all that? Did you go um, to college? I did. Yeah, I went to the University of Michigan. Oh, that's right. I knew um, that. Yeah, so it was it was a great thing. I had I had sort of like developed a name for myself in New York, but once I like went through puberty, I was at a really awkward stage, and it was, yeah. like, a really great time to, like, go back and just sort of work when I wasn't under the microscope of New York theater and got to, I don't know, own my craft or something. <laughs> and then you did Susical Su- Su- after Beauty and the Beast. I did, yes. What a cool show. Totally. I love that show so much. That yeah. was another one that I got to see, like, from early development and see how that all came together. Yeah. And, and then eventually, like in New York, it, it wasn't really received well. And I don't think it was necessarily the production that they had thought it was going to be. But regardless, the heart of the musical is so present and the score, I think, is so beautiful. Yeah. And it's been now really exciting for Lynn and Stephen to see how successful and how much that is produced and what a great show it is for kids to work on and for adults to work on. Yeah, it really is done everywhere. Yeah, totally. It's I think... There was one year that it was the most produced musical Whoa. in like, the entire catalog of shows. So. That's amazing. It's the new Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> and then Mary Poppins. Yes. I mean, tell tell everything. Sure. Uh, it was. I started out on the national tour of that, uh, playing the role of Robertson I, who's the bumbling butler. And then when the spot opened up on Broadway, they asked me to go and do it there, which was really cool. And I got to make my sort of adult Broadway debut with that. Which felt just as fitting as making my like kid brother Disney <laughs> show. And is it one of those cool like Disney jobs that like when like you can always go back to? Um, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I would maybe hope so. I mean, they've Disney to a fault is they're generous and they're they're very loyal to the people uh, who they bring into the family, which I think is the greatest. I'm a testament of that. Yeah, and to their generosity. Um, and I, I really love Mary Poppins. I love. I think there's something incredibly rewarding as an actor to get to perform for young people because I was I was a young theater goer and I saw so many shows that were just at random community theaters and like really shaped me in such a huge way. So the fact that a lot of people's first exposure to theater is a show like Mary Poppins or like Newsies, I think is I I can't even imagine how much that would have 
influenced me had I been a young person and seen that kind of magic on that stage. So you really do everything. Like you really are good at everything. And uh, I, I don't I, know I, about that. But <laughs> I try everything. <laughs> I read this article that you wrote for Backstage, and we're going to link to it on the website if you don't mind because it's sure. so good. Um, and it was about the first time you saw Ragtime. Yes. And I wanted to read a little piece of it because it was so beautiful, if you don't mind. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, this is just a, a piece towards the end of, of the piece that you wrote. It says, I think this was the first time that I fully understood the power of musical theater as an art form. If crafted artfully and honestly, a musical could cause all reason and rationale to fall away, leaving only room for raw human emotion. Words on their own carry a certain weight, but when paired with the perfect phrase of music, they are able to express something deeper and more truthful than any poem or essay. And you were talking about you were like 11 and yeah. you were crying and you didn't understand yeah. why because you were like, I was 11. I understood emotions. When I was sad, I would cry. When I was happy, I would laugh. But now I wasn't sad and I was crying. Anyway, maybe you could talk about it a little yeah, bit. Sure. I remember it was, it was such a formative performance. I went up to Toronto to see the out-of-town tryout of Ragtime because I was a big fan of like Aaron's and Flaherty. I loved Once on this Island and they released like a concept album of Ragtime and our parents were pretty cool and like let us all hop in the minivan and drove us up to Toronto to see it and I remember it was during the song New Music which nothing sad happens in that song it's just a really beautiful moment where Cole House comes back and is begging for Sarah to take him back and there's like a huge swell of music and she comes down the stairs slowly and I remember just bursting into tears Right. Point, I mean, they did but <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, there was nothing overwhelmingly sad about it. And I think it was my first time, just as a human being, reacting in like a visceral, emotional way to a beautiful moment. Um, and I, from there on out, I was like, oh, this is musical theater. This is as good as it gets. Yeah. This moment could not have been achieved on film alone, in a play alone, in a book. Like, it had to be that right, perfect, perfectly crafted combination of words, music, dialogue, staging, lighting, everything, that, to make that one crystallized moment. And you then got to go and do the tour. I did, yes, yes. Unbelievable. Yeah, totally. That was still, everyone's like, what's like the best musical you've worked on? And it was absolutely that. That opening number, I think, is as good as it gets. And yeah. I remember being a little kid and standing. There's like, in the original Broadway, it was conceived that there are three triangles. The like, uh, the blacks, the Jewish people, and the Aryan wasps in the center. And I got to stand on center stage at the very tip of that and have a huge ensemble. I wanted to talk about Broadway for Obama. Yes. So cool. Um, maybe I should read this quote. I was going to read this quote, another quote earlier, but this is something that uh, Kate Weatherhead's husband said about you. Um, it said, when, you, when after you guys were leaving in uh, Texas, right, Dallas? Yes. And, and she was like, how do I make this thing happen that I was talking about with Andrew? And, and he said, uh, stay in touch with Andrew Keenan Bolger. He likes you and he knows how to get shit out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so talk about it. Well, who, who came up? It was you and Celia, right? Yeah, and yeah. It was, it was, I mean, it all relates back to kind of our parents instilling the importance of having an active voice in the world when there's something worth fighting for. And we felt very strongly about getting him reelected. And 
I think that social media has changed the Broadway world in incredible ways. Before, if you followed your favorite like movie star, you would get to see into their world only if they were like on a talk show or did an interview, which doesn't really happen as much in the Broadway community unless you're a super superstar. But things like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube have made Broadway actors really accessible to the public and have given us and podcasts, yeah, and podcasts, <laughs> and have given us a platform. Uh, that didn't used to exist. And Celia and I were like, the technology is out there. How do we as Broadway actors make a difference? Because honestly, at at times like an election, it's easy as an actor to feel very self-serving and like, I just get to be in musicals. Like there's a lot of trouble going out in the world. And it was a way to sort of channel that energy that so many of our actor friends felt where they were like, I just feel like I don't know how to make a difference. And so we found a way for people to connect with their followers and uh, get them to mobilize and also put people to, like, true work. Like, we had Broadway people crouched on floors on their cell phones calling random people in Ohio, making sure that they were registered to vote and that they were going to show up at the polls. Were you guys concerned about backlash? Like, were you concerned that you might alienate people who don't – didn't want to vote for Barack sure. Obama? Um I think originally we were, and we were we were sort of scared, like, what are our producers going to say about this? Like, we're being very – not only are we members of the community, but we are members of teams, which were our shows that we were in. So we decided to – not related to any of our shows, but um, people would come to the stage door, and I would – if I came out and was signing, I would wear my Obama swag. And at very least, um, even if people didn't disagree with it, they know where Broadway stands. And I think yeah. – the majority of the Broadway world, because there are a lot of artists and there are yeah. a lot of gay people and a lot of women and a lot of creators and a lot of middle class to lower class people working in the yeah. arts, that it is definitely – it's where Broadway stands. And if you if you want to ask us about it, we're happy to. And if you don't, that's cool too. Yeah. Like, if you're coming to support us, it's it, I think it's helpful to know where – if you look up to these people, to know when – we are sometimes having our rights uh, marginalized. So for sure, yeah, and and to see and to see the people that you look up to taking a stand. Absolutely, yeah. And what I thought was the coolest was the amount of young people who got involved in a way that I don't think young people are necessarily as prone to do. But there were so many. There were moms calling, being like, "Can I bring my eleven-year-old daughter to your phone bank?" Oh wow! And like, yeah, please, please do, please do. And having these kids who like can't even vote for themselves getting on the phone and calling people in some states to make sure that they can vote I thought was just the coolest thing and yeah I think speaks worlds of our new generation that they are actually not going to be apathetic and just sitting back They're yeah gonna be active and uh, create the change they wish to see um, so you are on the second episode of the new show looking yes, yes. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit sure yeah it just it aired um, Sunday night. Uh, it was a really cool thing. I, I read the pilot and I had auditioned for it originally and I was like, I gotta be on the show. I think this is some really smart writing. It's, I think it's taking the gay world and putting it in a way that's not stereotypical, that's not overly like ex- ex- uh, explaining about the world. It's not, it's not about like all the big gay rights issues which are often tackled. It's really like someone dropped a camera in three friends who happen to be gay, and it's just their story, which I think is really important, and it's mm-hmm. something that the straight world has gotten to have shows about for as Ever. long as there have been television. Exactly. Um, 
and so I got to, a, a chance to audition for the second uh, episode for a character in it, and got to fly out to San Francisco and hang out with those boys who were the coolest guys ever, uh. and be on the show. It's really yeah. Cool. Okay, so I haven't seen it, but I did yeah. read the Broadway Broadway World Broadway.com sure, article yeah. where you were talking about the alphabas, the different alphabas. Oh, yeah. You sing like the, you sing uh Defying Gravity, right? In the yes, shower. Yes, yes. He uh after I meet up with uh Dom, who's one of the main characters on it, and we hook up. I'm like taking a shower and he's sitting with his roommate and hears me from the bathroom singing Defying Gravity. And realizes maybe this was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Keenan Bolger, we sometimes ask people to sing if they're singers, oh, and Jesus. we were wondering if maybe you would give us a couple versions of your define a couple okay. of different because oh. you said you gave Eden Espinosa realness and you oh, gave yes. Adina Menzel realness. Maybe you could give us one or two. Oh well, I love I'm number one a terrible riffer, but I think it actually worked to my benefit on the show. <laughs> be as bad as you want to be, but I love I love the Shoshana like yes. Instead of just going defying gravity, she goes defying gravity, which I love that little like little double dutch of a little melisma there. Um, what was the Eden one that I stole? Oh, she she's like more in the like Wizard and I world. Just that like <laughs> she's so things good. I've never felt, which I love. That's like a great option. <laughs> one of my friends is about to play Alphaba on the tour right now, and she I'm like such a nerd about like phrasing. If like uh-huh. a girl can like phrase a song that's more. That's more exciting to me than, like, if someone can, like, hit a really high note. And she, this is so gay of me, but I love it. <laughs> she, in The Wizard and I, at, sings an entire phrase through a key change, like, doesn't take any breath. She literally, all in one breath, she goes, and I'll stand there with the wizard, feeling things I've never felt, which, like, no girl does. They're always like, with me, and I'll stand there with the uh-huh. wizard, feeling things I never felt. She sings it all in one breath. So check her out. <laughs> Laurel Harris. She's coming to a city near you. What's her name? Laurel Harris? Laurel Harris, yes. Oh, love it. If she has a website, we'll link to it on ours. Amazing. I love it. <laughs> my, husband, <laughs> my husband built our website, and he manages it, so I'm just like, babe. <laughs> There's another one. Andrew Keenan Bolger, thank you for being on the Theater People podcast. You, you are phenomenal, and we are so excited for Submissions Only Season 3. What, what is upcoming for you? Um, I'm about to, well, I just wrote a book with Kate Weatherhead. Congrats. We just wrote our, we're, we're writing a book series called Louisa and Jack, which is coming out in, uh, from Penguin Publishing, January 2015. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. What is it? Um, it's, it's a book about, uh, two kids doing theater together in Cleveland, Ohio. Wow. It's pretty cute. Oh, I, really I can't like it. wait. It's a kid's book? Yeah, it's a, it's like a middle grade book, so. That is awesome. A lovely chapter book. It's something <laughs> I would have loved to read when I was a kid. Yeah, totally. Yes. Well, thank you for being here. Um, hopefully we'll get you back. Amazing. I love it. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Just a few quick notes, theater people. We really have no reason to believe that anyone actually dies in season three of Submissions Only. I was just kidding when I said that. But if it does happen, I called it. Also, if I offended anyone with my third assistant lighting gaffer comment, I really didn't mean to. We are in deep awe of all people who create theater. Today's episode was produced by me and Mike Jensen. This is Mike's first episode with us, and we are thrilled to have him. Welcome, Mike. Special thanks to BroadwaySpotted.com, Davenport Theatrical, Steve Tipton, who manages our website, Bradley Bean, who wrote and recorded our theme music, the staff at Oswald's, and our dear friend Ellen Marsh, who came through for Steve and me this week in a way for which she'll never really know how grateful we are. Please, if you drink coffee, check out her and her husband's coffee company, Mod Cup. You really have never tasted anything like it. They are, after all, the coffee of the Broadway community. Check them out at modcup.com. Keep coming back, theater people, and tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. I'm Andrew Keenan-Bulger, and you are listening to Theater People. Oh!